630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. McDavid centers one timer score. Oscar Clefbaum and Edmonton strikes again in overtime. This time it's Clefbaum. He'll swing it out to the outside and it is to the end zone. Touchdown Eskimos. Darrell Walker. Touchdown, and the Eskimos take the lead with less than a minute to go. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Hey, thanks for tuning in tonight. A signing announced today by the Edmonton Oilers. It pertains to their minor league team. Uh, maybe we could see this guy called up in the NHL. I think that'd be a pretty big maybe, though. But Josh Curry gets a new two-year contract. A 25-year-old with the Bakersfield Condors in the AHL the last three seasons, leading the team in scoring this past year with 46 points in 68 games. And, of course, this comes on the heels of the Oilers signing defenseman Evan Bouchard to his entry-level deal yesterday. He was taken over 10th overall by uh, the Edmonton Oilers at the draft in Dallas about a month ago. Patrick Maroon, of course, signing with the St. Louis Blues, the former Edmonton Oiler, traded by the Oilers to the Devils at the deadline. He'd been a UFA, uh, became a UFA on July 1st, recently signed with the Blues, and he was on Oilers now with Brendan Ulrich earlier today and said, excited to live in the same city, finally, as his son, Anthony. At the end of the day, it's really not about me. It's about him, and most importantly, I know he, he gets to see his dad wear the St. Louis Blues jersey and his hometown, his favorite team. But at the end of the day, it comes down to me watching, going to his games. I missed a lot of sporting events the last nine years, and it's it's not really fair to him. But, you know, that's part of my job. And I worked hard to get where I'm at, but I had the opportunity to stay in St. Louis, and I thought it it wouldn't be fair to him if he knew I had the opportunity to, to play for the hometown. And with a good hockey team too also um but you know for me we travel up at least i can see his high i never really i haven't seen an ice hockey game live so it's frustrating and you know i get to see his soccer and his basketball and now i get to enjoy those times obviously i'm going to miss a couple of those games but at least i can say i i can watch him during the week and watch him practice and watch him grow as a as a kid and watch him grow up and watch him mature as a as an athlete, so those are the most important things for me. Patrick Maroon, and you remember the emotional intermission interview with Gene Principe on Sportsnet about a year and a half ago when he was showing the video of Anthony celebrating one of his goals when the Oilers were in playing in St. Louis. So good for Patrick Maroon. Big trade in the NBA today. It involves the Toronto Raptors, the leading scorer in franchise history, the man who has played more as a Toronto Raptor than anybody else in the history of the franchise, DeMar DeRozan, traded along with Jakob Pertl and a first-rounder in 2019 to the San Antonio Spurs, and the Raptors get back one of the best players in the NBA if... He is healthy, and who knows if he is going to be a Toronto Raptor long-term. Kawhi Leonard comes to the Raptors along with Danny Green. Leonard only playing nine games this past season because of uh, injuries. He can score. He can defend. He's a two-time defensive player of the year. The issue here for the Raptors besides the health is 
does he want to be in Toronto? I mean, you heard the reports uh, leading up to this that, that he wouldn't want to play for the Raptors and that he has one year left on his contract. He'll be an unrestricted free agent and uh, that he has said in the past he wants to play for the L.A. Lakers. Now, apparently he's changed that story a little bit ever since LeBron James went to the Lakers and Leonard wouldn't be the guy if he went and played for the Purple and Gold. But, uh, I mean, Kawhi Leonard, DeMar Rosen is a really good player. Kawhi Leonard is a great player. He is a, gr- a better player than DeMar DeRozan. You'd think in, in that regard, the Raptors got better today, but will Leonard be healthy and will he stick around? Greg Popovich, the head coach of the Spurs, saying farewell to Leonard today. Kawhi uh, conducted himself wonderfully while he was here. You know, he helped us uh, win a fifth championship. Uh, as I said, he was a hard worker uh, all the time. And uh, we, we wish him well. All right, so that's the news today. Thanks a lot for joining us tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Chat. Eskimos on a bye week. They will be back at it one week from tomorrow when uh, they visit the Montreal Alouettes. We'll have it for you at 4 o'clock for the countdown to kick off. The game will start at 530. You can always text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. Really looking forward to the show tonight. Uh, we're going to have not one, but two guys who played in the major leagues on the show tonight. Ron Kittle will check in at the bottom of the hour. Ron, a great Edmonton trapper, 50 home runs as a trapper in the old Pacific Coast League in 1982. He was the uh, MVP of the league that year, went up to the White Sox the next season and uh, won Rookie of the Year. And he's coming to Edmonton to appear at the Edmonton Prospects game on Friday night. And Mike Johnson, the uh, local guy who pitched for the Montreal Expos for a few seasons, also pitched in Japan. So that'll be fun to uh, get some stories and catch up with both of those guys. Now McDavid one-on-one against Drew Doughty. In over the lawn against Doughty. Juke scores! Ties the game! Beautiful change of pace by McDavid, and he snaps it through the wickets of Darcy Kemper. And that intro can only mean that our old friend, Oilers play-by-play voice, Jack Michaels, is back on the program and back in Canada. How's it going, Jack? Why am I always the old friend, Reed? Aren't you older than I? Uh, well, I think I am, but I think I'm referring to the length of our friendship and the warmth of it rather than our actual physical ages. That, that is true. There's a lot of lengthy, warm feelings that are shared between us. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> hey, I got, a great, I got a great trivia question. Well, I mean, an answer to a trivia question for Ron Kittle. And, of course, he was on the pennant-winning 83 Sox, but he was also the man that Jack Morris struck out in April of 84 when the Tigers got off to that great start. Jack Morris pitched a no-hitter on NBC's Game of the Week, and Ron Kittle was the man who struck out to end it. Uh, I, if memory serves me, the Tigers that year started either 34 and nine or 35 and nine. Something. I mean, basically they had the Even AL better. East. They had the Even AL better. East. Yeah, thirty-five and five. It was thirty-five and five. Okay. Yeah, you're you're you were you were right on. You were right in the wheelhouse there. Thirty-five and five. And, uh, you know, just a, a fabulous season, obviously. But yeah, I'll never forget it. The White Sox were the returning division champions from '83, and Ron Kittle was a big part of that club. And uh, he whiffed, as you remember, Ron Kittle wore specs mm-hmm. uh, yep. at the plate, and he whiffed and uh, a no hitter for Jack Morrison. Very early in the season, April of 84. 
Yeah, Ron Kittle, it's, it's going to be fun to catch up with him. He uh, hit a whole lot of home runs. He did strike out a lot, but he had a pretty pretty interesting career because I think he was, uh, I'll get the story from him, Jack. I'm pretty sure he suffered a pretty bad injury as a 19 or 20-year-old, and it looked like he wasn't going to be able to play baseball, but he, but he came back, and I think by the time he was in his mid-20s, he was able de- to debut. And I know for, for Edmonton baseball fans, uh, well, for Edmonton sports fans, a little bit of nostalgia to have him on the show, and he'll be part of the prospects uh, nostalgia night at Remax Field on Friday. Jack, uh, we, I got I to gotta talk to, to you about this because the last time you were on, you were about to leave for London. You've, you've been to Wimbledon a few times now. Uh, pretty uh, compelling tournament with the length of some of the matches. A uh, lot of upsets on the women's side, obviously. Uh, what did you What did you get to take in? How was your uh, fan experience this year? It was fantastic. I had uh, the, the first day I was there. I had Roger and Serena back to back on center court. So it's it's hard to beat that. Uh, and form held for much of the three days I was there. I didn't see uh, the major upsets because what I tried to do is I try to catch it kind of at the end of the first week going into week two and that's where there's still a lot of matches and you can see a ton of tennis and most of the big names are still around but you're also starting to get some more competitive matches so uh, i had a chance to see uh roger and serena and juan martin del potro a number of the top seeds and and just a just a fantastic time and you know you see serena williams and roger Federer back to back on center court uh, it's kind of hard to top that if you're at all a tennis fan, and I'm a huge one, as you know. So uh, that was a real highlight for me, and it was three scorching. I mean, it was scorching in London. So I had a great time. A lot of sun, a lot of good time. So the Anderson-Isner semifinal was 26-24 in the fifth set. Uh, it took over six and a half hours. Djokovic and Nadal took over five hours. It was 10-8 in the fifth set. Wimbledon does not have a tiebreaker in the fifth set. They don't cap it. I, I mean, I guess there's a there's a certain novelty to seeing these long matches, but I'm also thinking from, you know, the health of the athletes moving forward. I mean, is it not time to bring, maybe even cap it at 9 or 11 and say, okay, if it's 10-10, we're going to have a tiebreaker? I don't know, Jack. You 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 watch the sport more than I do, but I, I, I just think... That these matches that drag on, drag on, and guys are tired, and they're only they only only have enough energy to hold serve. I'm like, man, it gets absurd to me after a while. Well, I mean, further to your point, Reed, it goes more than just Wimbledon. In fact, the U.S. Open is the only major that has a fifth set tiebreaker. Uh, the Davis Cup doesn't have a fifth set tiebreaker. So, I mean, it's it's more than just Wimbledon that has to take a look at it, and. It, you talk about theater of the absurd. Of course, it was Isner involved in that 70 to 68 right. fifth set uh, seven or eight years ago that kind of started uh, the rumblings that maybe you should cap. And I think Isner himself, after this recent match, I think I think 12-12 is probably a good uh, capper uh, for all three majors if you were to look across the board. As he said, if you can't finish it off by then, chances are you could be playing forever. So. So get something done. And I, I think tennis does need to take a look at it. Uh, tennis is one of those sports like auto racing um, that, that that's a bit of a niche sport. And I think anything that kind of strengthens the fan experience and makes things a little tidier for not only the players but also the fans. I mean, we're sitting there to watch, you know, I mean, think of how you'd feel, Reed, if you had tickets for the men's semifinals on center court 
And no offense to Anderson or Isner, but you didn't get to see Djokovic and Nadal finish their match, and you don't get to come back and see that the next day. Instead, whoever has tickets for the ladies' final kind of backs into seeing the fourth and fifth sets of of Djokovic and and Nadal, and you kind of feel cheated to some extent. So uh, I think they do need to take a look at it. I I love tennis, but uh, it's, it's... when you hear the top players from both past and present clamoring for change, you know there's something to it, and that this is not just a nagging issue. Well, and if yeah, and if the players are unified or the big names are, are vocal enough, I think they'll have no choice but to change it. You know, somebody just texted in, uh, asked Jack if he's going to the Laver Cup because I'm going. Well, I just checked the dates, Jack. Uh, we'll be working where there's preseason games. It's September 21st to uh, 20. Is it the 23rd? September 21st to the 23rd. It is in Chicago. And if people, this is the Labor Cups, this uh, team tennis. I mean, I guess would you call it what tennis is? They're trying to make it the Ryder Cup of tennis. I don't know if that hasn't worked necessarily that well in other sports, but uh, that's that's kind of what they're doing with the Labor Cup. They are. They're they're trying to get something going. And, and tennis, you know, tennis is, is unique. I, I've often said this because people, their, their first impulse is to laugh, but tennis, is the closest thing to boxing that we have. It's it's one-on-one. There's no coaching. You've got to ultimately figure it out. And you're, you know, the, I guess the only difference is, is is boxing. You're not. I mean, eventually you got to you got to win the last point in tennis. And and in boxing, I guess there's there is a capper. You know, at the end of 12 rounds, there's going to be a decision. But uh, it is a unique sport in the sense that it's so one-on-one that I think uh, the players, again, you know, both past and present are embracing the idea of occasionally being allies as opposed to such antagonists because it is a uh, brutally draining. And in today's day and age, Reed, the weird thing is, is, you know, when you and I were kids, these tennis players were done at 25. Now yeah. the best players in the world are all over the age of 30. And Serena Williams can have a baby nearly die in childbirth and 11 months later go all the way to the Wimbledon final. I mean, so age is no longer, you know, when I was a kid, Borg and McEnroe, their best years were behind them after the age of 25. And, and now you see Federer and Djokovic and Nadal still ruling the game 10 years after they first were ruling the game. So it's, it's a sport that cha- has changed a great deal. Uh, even in our lifetimes. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen with that because, I mean, this era of Federer, Nadal, and certainly Djokovic pushing in there and well has been an incredible one for tennis. And, I mean, you and I have talked this before. What's going to happen when when they finally retire? And will that be a trend that continues where the next wave of guys stay dominant, uh, you know, into their early to mid thirties or will, or, or maybe we'll go back to, I mean, maybe these guys are just that good, Jack, that maybe when well, they're done, it'll go back to being a young man's sport. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Reed, Cause here's the take I have on it is if you think about it, part of the reason that guys like McEnroe, even, you know, McEnroe, Edberg, uh, Becker, even to some degree, Sampras, part of the reason they retired is they started getting beat by the younger players. Right. They started getting beat on a regular basis. And it's a little less fun to come to work when you know you're going to get run off the court. And what's happened here is I think part of the reason Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal are hanging around is because no one's challenged them. No one's, you know, forced them to take a look in the mirror and say, maybe I don't have it anymore. 
they they just keep you know getting beaten down by these older guys, and I think that's why the careers have lasted. And I, I think it's almost even more painful in women's tennis, where Serena has had I mean how many major injuries and other you know extended absences has she had, and it seems whenever she reappears on the scene, she can do whatever she wants. So it, it's it's really up to the next generation to finally you know, put together four or five guys, and you hate to say it, but to drive this older generation out of the game. Otherwise, this could continue into their late 30s, early 40s. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Uh, it's 621. Jack, I'm going to admit something to you. I do have the ESPYs on TV with the sound oh, turned down. There's <laughs> never an excuse for that. It's just like listening to Akuna Matata. There's no excuse for it at any point. You cannot have a sports award show on it. just... It's just not possible. <laughs> well, I, I don't know what it may. One, one day in the summer, I had a rerun of Murder, She Wrote on the TV. Maybe I'll try to find that. Yeah, that's, that's when it's time to take a look in the own mirror there, Reed. You can't, you can't do that, bud. You've got to be better than that. <laughs> All right, Jack. Uh, thanks for making time for me tonight. Thanks for sharing your experiences at Wimbledon. Uh, I know people love hearing those stories. And uh, we'll, I'll, I'll see you around somewhere, Northern Chicken. I don't know. We'll golf together, something like that. Ron Kittle is part of a group of the, – remember the 80s hitters? I mean, Kittle was part of that group. Rob Deere, Steve, bye-bye, Balboni. I mean, it was home run or bust. Now the whole game of baseball is like that. Those were the forefathers. Yeah, 10 home runs in the All-Star game last night, uh, most ever in all which I know is a different type of game. But uh, I, I think, well, i, I got to throw this. I think the U.S. women's hockey team just won game of the year for their shootout win over uh, Canada in the Olympic gold medal game because there's like right. 20 I, women I going like, up I on stage. i got to be honest with you, Reed, and I haven't looked at the, you know, the, the fan groups, and I know there's a lot of research done on your show, but I'm fairly certain your listeners do not want to hear that nor do they want to hear me prattling on about <laughs> mid-80s power hitters or tennis any longer. So I'm going to do your ratings a huge favor and hop off, but I'll see you soon, pal. That is Jack Michaels checking in, play-by-play voice for Edmonton Oilers on 630 Chad and the Oilers Radio Network. He is always entertaining, always opinionated, and uh, always has, I mean, he and I are, are we're, I think we we're, were born in the same year. I, I don't know. I'm actually not sure who's older, but we, we share a lot of memories of, uh, of the 1980s, our formative years watching sports for sure it is 623 we'll keep a quick timeout and ron kittle is coming up in the next half hour this is jc sheriff from your edmonton eskimos and you're listening to inside sports with reed wilkins on 630 chad jc sure didn't finish that game against uh, toronto on friday hopefully the bye week is treating them well Eskimos sitting at 3-2. and two. Week 6 in the CFL will start tomorrow with Saskatchewan taking on Hamilton. I, I will say this. Love having Jack Michaels on the show. Little disappointed he appeared to mock Murder, She Wrote. Was that not a fine television program? I mean, Angela Lansbury, was she not a, was she not a sex symbol for the mature crowd? <laughs> I, I, I'm comfortable asking that question. Kellen is not. Kellen, a guy who had a, has a crush on Sigourney Weaver, who's 35 years older than him, mm-hmm. he's not comfortable uh, uh, talking about Angela Lansbury. Well, it's kind of not in design for your age group, though. That's the thing. Rocket says, I watched Wimbledon intensely. Very avid tennis fan and player. Love the five-set matches. Great sport. Has really grown over the years since Johnny Mack and Martina days. 
Uh, Brian says uh, any any Browns fan shouldn't say very much, Jack. Joking aside, uh, nobody I know mentions Rod Phillips anymore. A can't-win job Jack took over, and he is doing great. Well, Jack is doing great, and uh, things change. Rod did a great job. Now Jack's doing a great job. Coming up to the 6.30 News, Ron Kittle will join us after the break. Former Expos pitcher Mike Johnson is going to be in studio. You can keep texting 6.30, 6.30. Fun show tonight. Talk to you in a few minutes. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. So the Oilers' note today, farmhand Josh Curry re-signed two-year contract, led the Bakersfield Condors in scoring this past season, 46 points in 68 games. He's 25, played the last three seasons with the Condors. That big trade in the NBA involving the leading scorer in Toronto Raptors history, DeMar DeRozan, goes to the San Antonio Spurs. Kawhi Leonard coming the other way. Great player, Hasn't been, uh, wasn't healthy this past season, though, and going into the final year of his contract. So uh, already concerns that he uh, won't be enthusiastic about coming to Toronto or will simply leave when his contract expires next summer. We'll see. Really good player. Major League Baseball All-Star Game. I mentioned this quickly with Jack. Ten home runs in that 8-6 American League victory in 10 innings. Ten home runs most ever in a Major League Baseball All-Star Game. The previous record was six. And uh, speaking of the Edmonton prospects, uh, we're going to have Ron Kittle on here right away. He's uh, coming to town for a nostalgia night on Friday. The prospects have now won five in a row, including last night, beating the Regina Red Sox 26. That's right. Final score, Edmonton 20, Regina 6. The prospects led it 20 nothing after the six innings. So uh, they are coming alive here five in a row. They've crawled back to 18 and 18 on the season. They're third in the West Conference. The top four in each six-team division uh, will make the playoffs. Uh, Prospects home to Medicine Hat tonight at 7 at REMAX Field. Oh, and one to count. Kittle hits it to deep left field. No doubt about this one. It is 4-0. There's one of Ron Kittle's 35 home runs from his Rookie of the Year campaign with the Chicago White Sox back in 1983. And I'm pleased to welcome Ron to the show. Ron, you're on Inside Sports with Reed. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Back in uh, Chicago and uh, well, it, it's awesome to have you on the show, and uh, obviously you're coming to Edmonton. You're going to be at the Edmonton Prospects game uh, here on Friday night. Uh, you know, it, it's 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 been a while since you played in Edmonton, since you were at Edmonton Trapper. But what what does what does Edmonton mean to you? What does your time as an Edmonton Trapper mean to you when you look back, Ron? You know, it was one of those uh, not, it, it, the point in timetable that you make good friends because uh, most people who go to Triple A. They're either going to go to the major leagues or they're just going to be sent home. Because that's kind of the plateau where you get to. Uh, I, I made a lot of friends up there when I played. Uh, I still keep in touch with many. And you know, and that's nice to be uh, thought about. You know, when I retired my uniform years ago, I came back into town. But being offered to come up there on Nostalgia Night uh, was pretty cool. So, you know, I take time out of my schedule to come up for a weekend to visit some good friends and uh, see a great city. 
you know, you you had a 50 home run season with the with the Trappers back in 1982. You were the PCL's MVP. Maybe a generation of fans who doesn't remember that league. The the Pacific Coast League was the AAA league that the Trappers played in. I mean, what what do you remember about that season and, and being able to bang out all those home runs? Did you feel maybe something big was was coming, or, or did you did you maybe surprise even yourself at the year you had? Uh, you, know, you know, I was I had a really good spring training, but the year before, uh, I was in double A. I had 40 home runs, and I only played like 100-some-odd games. So, you know, I knew I had it in me. Uh, the Pacific Coast League was a great league. You know, it was a lot of prolonged travels, but some great ballparks and good talent. Uh, you know, I was just one of those guys, you know, the top 10 from double A go to the triple A team, the top 10 from there probably get a chance to go to the big leagues. So, you know, it, it was a great experience. Uh, I wasn't planning on hitting 50 home runs, but I, I I was in good shape. I was staying healthy. I was playing every day. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was just one of those things that everything was, the mojo was working. And, uh, you know, I just missed a triple crown by a few points here and there. But uh, it was a great time to play. And, you know, got called up at the end of the year. So that's what you work for when you're in the minor leagues, to get the chance to go to the majors. Well, good preparation for the majors in a lot of ways. I mean, like you said, you're, you're facing great players, great pitchers every night. And, uh, I mean, I, I just remember from being a kid and following the league, um, the road trips were longer ones out here in the West, weren't they? I think you even had to go out to Hawaii a couple times a year. So you, you probably have a few tales from uh, some long flights or long bus trips, I would imagine. Well, you know, you, you sit there and you travel or you uh I you know, have a special plane to get us to locations from Tacoma to Hawaii, uh, Salt Lake City, all the way down to Albuquerque. Uh, you know, I started my career with the Dodgers, so it was nice to play against them. You know, we came back uh, after spring training from Tucson, and uh, we went, pulled into Edmonton. There was still a foot of snow on the warning track. So you're saying, boy, this is way up north now. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's just baseball. They had to play in the same weather, too. Uh, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, our owner of the White Sox, was talking the other day. One of the best lines you ever heard is, you hit 50 home runs in the Pacific Coast League, uh, and it's only in the Pacific Coast League. And I go, then how come nobody else did it? You know, and uh, he still remembers that, so he recited it. And, uh, you know, it, it's all a bunch of good memories. We had a nice ball team. Unfortunately, we didn't have any pitching to win in a lot of ball games, but uh, our team was definitely smashing the ball all year long. Yeah, well, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. If uh, if it was that easy, why didn't everybody do it, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you had an incredible season. And, I mean, and from an individual standpoint and, and a team standpoint too, the next year in 1983, you kept rolling. Uh, you won the uh, you won the Rookie of the Year with the Chicago White Sox in 1983. That was a pretty good year. So that that must have been pretty uh, a pretty special way to to have a Major League Baseball rookie rookie season. That's quite quite one to look back on. Well, you know, you're not going out there with any game plan, but, you know, every game I ever played from Little League on, I wanted to be the hero every single night. And I know, and everybody knows, you can't do that in baseball, but you've got to program yourself to go out there to compete at the highest level, do as good as you can, and uh, and try to do it as often as you can, because in baseball, you stink most of the time. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just got to throw in some good games that are to get the stink away. But, uh, you know, great memories. Uh, I've had some great teammates, great stories. Uh, like I said, you know, I go up and travel often, and I see people from from Edmonton or all over Vancouver that I've made friends with. So, you know, it's, it's, 
it was a timetable for me that was uh, pretty important in my life. Rod Kittle joining us on Inside Sports, former Edmonton Trapper. He's going to be at the Edmonton Prospects game on Friday, so that'll be cool to have uh, Ron back in town. You know, as as you went through your, your career uh, in, in Major League Baseball, I mean, mostly with the White Sox, you played with the uh, Yankees, Indians, and Orioles as well. I mentioned the Rookie of the Year award. You got the, you were, you were an all-star. Um, as you became more of a, of a veteran, um, you know, how did things change at all? Did, did, did things get tougher because pitchers maybe... Uh, you knew how to come after you or was there maybe a comfort level uh you know once you started to go around the league and maybe know some of the ins and outs of being a pro what was it like for you as as you got older and your career continued well it was never a comfort level i I think the thing that changes in a lot of ballplayers is staying healthy uh you know after my rookie year opening day at Sox park i jumped for a ball in left field and i dislocated my shoulder and uh I mean, I just picked up the ball, flipped it in, and went back in a joint. And it, it literally took me three years before I can get to my maximum strength of my arm. You know, I still hit 32 homers and 80 some RBIs. I didn't hit high batting average because I had to modify my swing. But, you know, 32 homers nowadays probably get you about, what, 10, 11 million dollars. And, uh, but you got to stay healthy, and I just did not stay healthy, you know, especially coming back from a broken neck. When I started my career with the Dodgers, uh, I was in baseball at 18 and out of baseball at 19. So, uh, you know, I didn't have an easy track. Uh, I probably should have just, you know, never played ball, but uh, I had a tough dad. and My dad was uh, the one that kept pushing me to do a little bit better all the time. Well, I'm glad you brought that up early in your career and, and the injury that you faced. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about that. And didn't, Ron, you're going to have to fill me in on the whole story because I'm just remembering bits and pieces. But weren't you uh, working in, in steel or in a steel mill or something like that before you got back into baseball? What happened there in your late teens and early 20s? Well, in high school, I was ironworking with my dad for American Bridge and uh, making pretty good money. I went to a tryout camp uh, for the Dodgers. I did very good. They signed me to a contract, and uh, I go to spring training in 1977. You know, I had a good spring go to Clinton, Iowa. In the Midwest, make my first bat, I hit a double. The next uh, pitch, Mike Sosha hit the blue single. I scored. The catcher lands on me and breaks my neck and paralyzes me at home plate. So that's my first game, first at bat. Uh, it did get a little bit better towards the middle of that season. So I got my first taste of Canadian baseball up in Lethbridge. And I went up there and played for the Lethbridge Dodgers. We won a championship. And, uh, you know, and I was virtually done after that year because I couldn't move. Everything was hurting on me. But I didn't know my neck was broken until the season ended. And uh, they checked it out. They said, you got three cross vertebrae and a cracked spinal cord. So my goal was done. They put screws in a halo on my head. And... Uh, I just sat at home, but like I said, I had a tough dad that wouldn't let me put something as such as a broken neck throughout my career. That's that's an incredible story of toughness, Ron. Wow, thanks for sharing that. Well, uh, man, that, that's awesome stuff. Hey, a couple more for you, Ron. Thanks for popping on tonight. And again, people can see you at the ballpark on Friday. Um, again, this is something I've read about. You're going to have to fill me in. Are you still make you, you're making some kind of collectible? Uh, you make benches out of balls and bats. What can? What, what's the full story here, Ron? This sounds pretty neat. <laughs> Well, I can make anything. Trust me. Uh, there's nothing I can't make. You know, you grow up in the steel industry. 
but I, I make my own furniture, and somebody wanted a bat bench made out of bats and baseballs and bases, and uh, and I kind of saw a really bad one, and I just made it better. Uh, the first one I made, I think I had uh, $1,100 in material in it, and it went for an auction price uh, for charity for $18,000 when a couple celebrities, uh, movie stars, autographed it. So I've just been crafting these things over and over the time for the last 30-some-odd years. Uh, I just do it for fun. I mean, an average bench costs about $2,500 or more. I, I make about $100 on it for about 18 hours of work. So it's really not a good living if I was trying to do that for a job. But, you know, I can do different teams, different uh, – but I make flags out of baseball. I do basketball, hockey, football, all kinds of stuff. But uh, it's just a hobby, just uh, – to keep me busy and stay out of trouble. Well, that sounds like an amazing hobby. Uh, let people know as well what, what, how you're involved in the game because you're still around the White Sox quite a bit, aren't you? Yeah, I'm an ambassador for Chicago White Sox. And uh, somebody asked me what that is. I said, you just do everything the owner tells you to do. So I make hospital appearances. Uh, if he's out of town and they need somebody to accept an award, I throw on a suit. I go out there. Uh, I do the MLB draft uh, every, every once in a while when I'm in town. So, you know, it's, it, I, I visit uh, all the sweet sponsors, so it's like shaking hands and kissing babies at the ballpark sometimes. So uh, it, it's a pretty good gig. I meet some great people. And, uh, you know, it was really nice with uh, social media, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, is there's people that I've kept in contact all through Canada. And when they come into Chicago, they tell me when they come, I'll meet them at the ballpark and uh, have a beer with them or something and talk and uh it's just a great feeling to see some of these people come back and remember what happened in the past. Ron Kittle joining us on Inside Sports, former big leaguer, former Edmonton Trapper. I got a standard question here, Ron, I always ask ex-players because I, I, I get a lot of interesting answers. Who's the best player you ever played with and who's the best player you ever played against? I would say this is a two-part question. Ricky Henderson probably has the most talent that I've ever played with anybody. Uh, unfortunately, he probably should have been an MVP in the league about five or six times. But Ricky was so talented, he just did good enough to get by, and it got him into the Hall of Fame. So that's how good that guy is. Uh, you know, Don Madden, I, you know, I look at the hitters. Uh, you know, I've faced a lot of Hall of Famers. I've, I've played against a lot of Hall of Famers. I, I just like the guys who play hard and gave it everything they could and became a battle. So somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. But those are my things. George Brett, you know, Tom Seaver uh, was a teammate of mine when he won his 300th game. I, I just like the guys who are gamers. Uh, that's what I consider myself, uh, a hurt, injured, old-time injured gamer. <laughs> That's all I qualify for. Nice. All right, and my last one is this, Ron. You mentioned all the work you do in the community, meeting a lot of people, representing the White Sox. Uh, you're coming up here to Edmonton. People are going to be thrilled to talk to you. You know, when a, when, a, when a young man or woman, maybe, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, comes up to you and says, Mr. Kittle, you know, I want to be like you, or I, I want to be like whoever, Josh Donaldson, or, or a big leaguer they look up to. I want to make baseball, you know, baseball is my passion. I want to pursue that. What do you tell them? What, what, what advice do you give to those kids who are hoping to, to be a pro athlete and follow their passion? And it doesn't have to be baseball, really, in any sport. 
Absolutely. You know, I, you know, encourage them to give it the best they possibly can and uh, never give up. And you know, the key is, as hard as you think you're working at it, somebody's working a little bit harder. So be that other kid that's working a little bit harder. And, you know, it, it's, you know, not, you have a better chance to be a dean of a major university than you do make professional sports. That's how hard it is. But you got to go out there and believe in yourself, and you got to have people uh, – on your side pushing you sometimes to get on the other end. You know, sometimes that little swift kick in the fanny uh, might be the key to get somebody to the next level. And, uh, you know, I just wish them luck. Well, Ron, it's great to be able to spend a few minutes with you tonight on Inside Sports. I know you have a lot going on, and I know it's exciting that you're coming up to Edmonton. I hope you enjoy your trip here, and you maybe get to meet some old friends and see what the ballpark is like these days. All the best. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Thank you. That is Ron Kittle checking in tonight. Man, some memories there. The 1983 American League Rookie of the Year with the Chicago White Sox. 1982 with the Edmonton Trappers. 50 home runs. He was the Pacific Coast League MVP. I I didn't know that full story about him uh, suffering that neck injury in a baseball game when he was young. And maybe that would have been it for baseball. But as he said, he had a dad that, that wouldn't let him quit. And, and he kept going. Played in Lethbridge as well earlier in his career before coming up to Edmonton. So he's there Friday along with Mel Kowalchuk and Al Colts. John Short is going to host the event. If you have a ticket to the Prospects game against Medicine, uh, pardon me, against Regina on Friday, you can uh, show up at 5 and uh, and listen to that uh, kind of hot stove format there with John, Ron, Mel, and Al. Pretty cool stuff, and thanks to the prospects for hooking us up with Ron Kittle tonight. It is 6.51. You can always text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. More baseball coming up. Another former big league, an Edmonton kid. Pitch for the Expos. Mike Johnson is going to join us, too. Coming back. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. All right, really appreciate you tuning in tonight. That was awesome to have Ron Kittle on the show. Uh, and uh, you know what? I should have asked him something else. He wore glasses when he played, which you don't see very often. Well, you didn't see it very often in the 80s either. He, he wore glasses at the dish in the field. Uh, I should have asked him why he didn't go with the contact lenses. Well, somebody can ask him on Friday. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in. You can text 630-630. Our open line number is 780-496-0063. Speaking of the prospects, they are going for their sixth straight win tonight, about to get underway at REMAX Field against Medicine Hat. They crushed Regina 26 last night. They led it 20 nothing after six innings. Some guests on Inside Sports get gift certificates to Northern Chicken. Check out the new spring chicken menu with spring-inspired fixins. Start your salivating at northchickenyeg.com. Visit them in person at 124th Street and 107th Avenue. Eskimos on their buy. Uh, nothing on the uh, Terrell Owens front today. I did see him interviewed while going into the ESPYs today. And he said, uh, you know, he'd like to play in the NFL. Uh, He would be willing to go to Canada, but we'll see. I don't think this is going to lead to anything. Uh, I think it's a lot of hype. Uh, I'm still not totally sure why the Eskimos put him on their negotiation list. And maybe it was to block him, uh, block another team from getting him. 
but I don't think they're in a position where they need to sign Terrell Owens. And uh, the 10-day window to offer him a contract will expire on the 24th. All right, we'll break for the 7 o'clock news. A little more baseball nostalgia, especially for you Montreal Expos fans. Pitcher Mike Johnson is going to join us in the next hour. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.